right, if you want to follow along in your Bible, we'll be looking at the book of Jude tonight. We began a study of Jude last Sunday, or last Wednesday night, rather. Uh, we gave what we simply called a, an introduction to the book of Jude and looked at a number of things in regard to the book, talked about those quite uh, extensively. And tonight what we want to do is actually get into the chapter, begin looking at the things that Jude wrote for us, and uh, we'll probably get a couple of verses tonight, if we're lucky. We'll get in part of the introduction, if you will, of the book of Jude, as uh, Jude begins his little greeting part in uh, what we look at. And then we'll move on as we uh, have time uh, throughout the next several Wednesday nights in looking at the book of Jude. We said the book of Jude and the book of Second Peter are very closely related. Uh, there's an argument sometimes between commentators and Bible quote-unquote scholars as to who copied who. Uh, I don't believe either one copied the other. I believe they had the same source we talked about last time. But as we look at uh, the book, it simply begins with these words, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now we spent time talking about that in our introduction, who Jude was. Jude is the half-brother of our Lord. Uh, James is the half-brother of our Lord. James is the man who wrote the book of James that we have in the New Testament. He was very prominent in the, book, uh, in the uh, church at Jerusalem. He, before his time uh, uh, as a writer in the New Testament, he and Jude, James and Jude together, were unbelievers while Jesus was on earth. It wasn't until after his resurrection, it seems, that they became believers. But uh, Jude just identifies himself as a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. You know, it would have been awfully tempting, probably, to write, well, Jesus is my big brother. But he chose not to do that, writing by inspiration. Uh, instead, he recognizes himself as a servant. Uh, this is a bond servant, a, one who would literally, the word that's used here is he's literally a slave of Jesus Christ. And so can you imagine saying that of, of one of your own family members, one who grew up in your own household? And so that speaks, I think, to the humility uh, of Jude uh, as to what he had learned. And he says that he is the servant of Jesus Christ. Now, Look at this first paragraph as we see it. He says, to those, these are the people to whom he is writing. We do not know, as we mentioned last week, we do not know the exact geographical location. We don't know the church. We just know that Jude is writing to somebody who seems to be at least uh, uh, familiar to a great extent with uh, Judaism. And so um, it's uh, Jews evidently in, in some place that had been converted to, to Christ. But he says, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ. Now his first sentence, it's just short, but his first sentence is full. I want to ask you tonight as we think about the three things that he says about the people to whom he is writing, I want you to understand that he says that they are called, that they are kept, uh, and, or they are beloved and they are kept. Let me ask you now, have you ever been called? I'm not talking about on the telephone. I'm talking about in the way that James is writing to these brothers and sisters. Have you ever been called? 
He writes to those who, he simply says, who are called, to, to those who are called. What does he mean by that? Now, if you were to ask uh, those in our day, today's day, in, in many religious bodies, what does it mean to be called? They would start talking to you about some kind of experience, quote unquote, that they had that signified to them that God had chosen them to be one of the elect. There are stories and uh, in years gone by, especially for those who were uh, in the early days of the Restoration Movement, some of the men like Raccoon John Smith and others who, who kept waiting on their calling and they, they never could get their calling. They never could get, as they would say, they never could get their sign. And so they were worried about it. They struggled with it. And you can see some of the writings that they did and read some of them. They, they didn't know what was going on. They had been taught erroneously by the, uh, the Protestant uh, preachers of the day that you had to have some kind of sign to know that you were one of the elect, that you were one of the called. And so these men would write about it because they hadn't seen one. They hadn't heard anything. No still small voice had spoken to them or nothing had hit them on the head or anything like that. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We want to spend just a little bit of time in dealing with what Jude means when he talks about the ones who are called because it is still such a prevalent thinking in the religious world today. Now sometimes they have narrowed down in the religious world, they have narrowed down the idea of calling to, to one perhaps who is called to be a preacher. In other words, I receive my calling in order to be a preacher. Well again, that's not what Jude is writing about. He has, has nothing to do with that. But what is it when he says that he is writing to those who are called, what is it that Jude has reference to? Well, let's begin tonight by thinking about the source of the calling. Who, who did the calling? If these people are the called, who did the calling? Now, what I want you to do is we're going to look at several different passages, and so when I call out a verse, I want you to look them up real quick, and uh, let's go ahead and get there and, and read them. Whoever gets there first, read them out loud. But look at Acts chapter 2 at verse number 39. Probably every one of us in here could quote verse 38, but look at verse number 39. And I want you to notice particularly the near the end of that verse uh, what Peter says, Okay. Whoever gets to Acts 2, verse 39, read it out loud for us. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. All right. Who is the source of the calling? We've got the, 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 the ones, some who are called here uh, that are mentioned in Peter, or, or by Peter in Acts chapter 2. But he talks about all of those who are called, not, not just the ones who are there on the day of Pentecost. Uh, remember that he's not just talking. Who is he talking about here in verse 39? Notice that he gives us a list there. It's for the ones who are present on the day of Pentecost. And he says, for your children, the ones who are to come after you, and for all where? 
who are afar off, who are far off. And so it's not just the Jews of that day, it's not just their uh, descendants along the way, but even the Gentiles would be some who were called. But who does the calling? Even as many as the Father, the Lord, our God, shall call. And so tonight we can't deny that they're those who are called. John, I mean Jude, writes about them, but on the very first day of the church, Peter talks about a calling, a calling from God. In the book of Hebrews chapter 3 at verse number 1, Hebrews chapter 3 at verse number 1, the writer of the book of Hebrews again mentions a calling. Okay, And notice he doesn't specifically say that uh, it's God on this occasion, but notice how he, he states it and we understand who it is that does the calling uh, from the very language that he uses. What is, what is the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 3 at verse 1 tell us about the calling? Therefore, holy brothers, you shall share in heavenly calling. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. All right, so we're talking about the source of the calling. Peter on the day of Pentecost talks about it being the Lord our God who's doing the calling, but the writer of the book of Hebrews simply refers to it as what kind of calling? A heavenly calling. Well, who's in heaven? Who's the one who is the... God of heaven. Well, it is God. And so, again, it's not just a, not a place that's calling, but it is a person who is calling. You know, uh, now, if you, if you see on your phone, uh, on the caller ID, it, it, it may say a city. Well, you know it's not a city that's calling you. You know it's a, a person who is calling you, or, or it may be a computer who's calling you that some person has programmed to call you, but... It's not just a place. Heavenly calling is not just a place. It is someone who is there. And again, we can understand that it is God. And so we have the source of the calling. But, but what about the, the, the ones who are called? What about the ones who are called? What is one of the characteristics or what kind of characteristics do these people need to possess? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 29. Notice how he starts in verse number 26. Paul writes about what? For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the wrong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. All right. What is, he, what is he writing about here in this, uh, these four verses? He begins that paragraph by saying, Consider your calling. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? Consider your calling. Now, who are the ones that he speaks about who are called? What, what characteristic 
do they possess? He says, not many of you were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble or rich. But God chose, and he begins to tell about the things and the how of the calling. But what kind of people were these people who were called that Paul writes about here? If they're not wise, he doesn't mean that they're foolish, but not by the world standard are they considered to be the elite. And so just to make a, to make a long story short here, we're talking about common men with a humble, teachable attitude. They have an attitude of which they're willing to learn. They're willing to listen to the call that is made, okay? Now, as we'll see in just a moment when we talk about um, the way that the call is done, we, we have to understand that it's not God who is somewhere up in heaven who is shouting down, you know, with a, with a strong, mighty voice and calling somebody. He's not whispering in their ear. He's not calling those who, who are the most powerful on the earth, you know, and somehow miraculously endowing them with some kind of knowledge of a calling. But here are some people who are willing to hear, who are willing to listen. But good friends, what are they to listen to? What is the means of the calling. We've got the source and we've got the people, but what is the means of the calling? Look at the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. And look at verse 14. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 14. All right, we've got a call being made, don't we? And how is that call made? What's the means? Through the, through the gospel. And so these, these Corinthians that we just read about, these people who would be willing to humble themselves to the things that he, that he writes about, the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things to shame the strong and so forth, these people had to be willing to listen when Paul and Apollos and Timothy and Luke and some of these other people came through and they preached the gospel. You see, God is not going to call somebody through any other means today. You're not going to get a, a phone call on your iPhone from heaven. Now, if you get one that says, you know, when you pick it up and you see heaven on the, on, on the caller ID, I don't know if I'd answer that one or not. Uh, somebody may be trying to pull your leg. But there is a calling for every person in the world who is willing to do what? Listen to the gospel. Hear the message by which they are called. And so the religious world, again, I mentioned the religious world, but many in the religious world are mixed up about the calling that goes out to them. And we have good friends 
who perhaps are members of various denominational bodies who are mixed up about the calling. Why are we spending time talking about one word in the book of Jude? Because it is so relevant in our day and time. When I was a senior in high school, I was teaching a, a Bible class uh, for seniors in the Baptist church down here. Mm-hmm. And out of that group of about ten, four of them went on to be preachers, Baptist preachers. Mm-hmm. They kept asking me, why wasn't I going to be? I was teaching the class. Uh-huh. I said, I ain't had no call. Oh, no. You, I you... ain't heard nothing. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about then, don't you? I kept waiting. I was waiting for a dream, a sign, uh-huh. something. Never happened. Right. And again, that (laughs) yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, Uh, so many people, uh, even today, we you know, I mentioned the early some of the early restoration leaders who had a problem with that. Well, here's her firsthand, uh, you know, testimony of uh, or acknowledging of uh, of the very thing that we're talking about tonight. Getting about time you made up your mind what you're going to do with your life. Uh-huh. And uh, Vietnam was making a lot of us think real hard. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to, they were religious young men, dedicated, and wanted to make a decision. They wanted God to be in them. And uh, like I said, three of them went on to be. Preachers, two of them are dead now, and another one's retired. But, uh, they stuck with it. They stuck by it because they had the right heart. Uh huh. They, they hear the truth. They they had a willingness truth, to do that. Okay, uh, that, and that so many people have ha, have fallen into that and, and been taught that and and continued to carry through with that. All right, let's look at one uh, another couple of things here. What is the what is the design for the call? In other words, what is the call intended to get us to do? Or probably should be should say this: What is it intended to get us to be? What is it intended to get us to be? Look at First Corinthians chapter one, verse number two. First Corinthians chapter one. Verse number two. What is it calling us to? To the assembly of God, which is at Carmel. Those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus call us saints. We all call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in every place, both theirs and ours. All right. Call to be saints. What does that mean? Oh, that, that's some kind of special group of people, right? I mean, they, they're different from the rest of us. Now, we've already established the kinds of people who are, who are called, right? The ones who are willing to listen. Did we not read that just a little while ago? But, but what does he mean here? When he talks about the ones who are called to be saints... What's another way of translating the word 
saint. What, what is another word that it's very closely akin to? All right, close to that. I was thinking of another one. Sanctified. I was thinking of another one that sometimes we may not associate it with. The word holy. Holy. Call to be holy ones. Set apart ones. That's the idea. That's the idea. Holiness is one one whose holy is is set apart uh, from others. Uh, when the angels talk about God in the book of Isaiah and the book of Revelation, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy. And they're using a very similar word here. And God is is so far above us that we so far separated from us that we have a hard time even recognizing who he is and how great he is. And by the way, uh, on not this coming Sunday, but the last Sunday of the year, we're going to spend quite a bit of time on Sunday morning dealing with that. But these people, these, these folks are called to be saints, called to be holy. The design of the call is to get people to change from worldliness, to come out of the world. Don't Christians come out of the world, not literally, but they come out of worldly thinking and worldly living to be people of God. And we have to match our life to God in order to be like Him. Okay, And so we have that call to be saints. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 at verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. Paul calls himself a prisoner of the Lord, but he urges us to do something. Okay, somebody have it? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. How can you walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called? There's our idea. There's that calling again. But how can we walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Well, think back to 1 Corinthians 1. They're called to be saints. We are to live a holy life. Did God not say through Peter... Be holy because I am holy. That's the way that we live a worthy life. We, we live a life of holiness before God. And so we have the design of the calling is for a holy, worthy life. Now what's the direction? Where does that call pull us? Where does it pull us? Look at... Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Where is that call drawing us? It's the upward call, right? The upward call. All right, where, and moving on, where 
is the call to be found. Stay in that same verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. It's an upward call, but where is it to be found? In Christ. In Christ. And so, what, you know, when we're preaching the gospel, whether it's here at the church building or sitting across the table from somebody in their home or going over to Romania or where, wherever it may be, what are we trying to convert, pull people to do? What are we trying to get them to do? Become a Christian. Okay, We're teaching them the gospel in order to be a Christian. Why do we want them to be Christians? Why do we want them to be Christians? So they'll have not just a good life here, because that might not be true, especially in places like Romania, to live a a Christian life, you know, gets folks in trouble in a lot of places. But so they'll have a better home waiting on them. Where's it at? In heaven. So it's an upward call, but it's a call that is in Christ Jesus. Now, where's the hope of our calling? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Notice the language that Paul uses there. We are all one body. We have the same spirit and we have all born, called to the same glorious future. Okay. Uh, Reading from the English Standard, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. What is the hope that belongs to our call? I was just talking about that just a little bit, but we're looking at verses that deal with it. Look at Colossians 1, verse 5. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. Where is the hope of our calling? Colossians 1, verse 5. Okay, the hope there, notice, remember there in Ephesians 4, verse 4, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. You're called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Well, where's that hope? That hope's laid up in heaven, Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 5. But let's go back just a little bit. How were we called that we saw back in the book of, uh, of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2? Through the... Gospel, notice what Paul says here. Of this you have heard. Of what have you heard? The hope of heaven. Where would you hear it at? You heard it before in the... What does he say? Word of truth. The gospel. How are we called? Through the gospel. Where are we called? To heaven. Called to heaven. That is our hope. And so, Jude writes to those who are called. All of these things that that we've looked at tonight, spent a few minutes talking about in regard to the calling that's mentioned here, should have meant something to them. And it should mean something to us. 
And, and folks need to understand that calling because if they don't understand the calling, they get all messed up. They get messed up in what they teach. They get messed up in, in, in uh, what they do a lot of times. And so we need to understand something about it. Jude wrote to those who are called. Okay? Now, not only did he write to those who are called, but he writes to those who are beloved in God, the Father. Now, that's not a difficult word. It's a, a word that uh, is used a number of times in Scripture. It's akin to the word love that we read about in Scripture, that we read in Scripture. And those who are beloved, we've, we've encountered this word again, or prior to this, in the book of 1 John, 2 John, and so forth. But he, uh, he has reference to those who have a relationship with God through the, through the redemptive work of Christ, but those who have that relationship with Him. Now, does God love His people? He sure does. Uh, how many can quote John 3.16? Probably the best known verse in the entire Bible except for John 11.35. What does it say? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved His people enough to let His Son die for them. Look at if he, or rather Romans chapter 5 at verse 8. For God shows his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. And so we see the extent of God's love, and it's, they, these are beloved in God the Father, beloved by God, beloved in God. And so they have that intimate relationship, if you will. They're called, they're beloved. But look at this one before we run out of time tonight. To those who are called, to those who are beloved in God the Father, and those who are, what? Kept for, Christ, for Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be kept? What does it mean to be kept? Well, let me, let me start out with what it doesn't mean, and then we'll see why it doesn't mean that as we talk about it here over the next minute or two. It does not mean that someone is, uh, is saved and can never be lost. In other words, the old doctrine of once saved, always saved, because he is kept. Once you get in Christ, God keeps you, and there's nothing you can do. There's no sin that you can commit that will ever cause you to be lost. That's what many teach. But that's not what Jude teaches. That's not what is here. The word literally means to guard. To guard particularly from loss or injury. Uh, literally to keep the eye upon one. Uh, and, and it differs. It differs from a word. And I'm, I'm sort of halfway reading a definition here. Differing from the word which means properly to prevent escaping. This, this watching, this keeping rather, is to keep one from loss or injury. Now, as we think about it, it's used a number of times in Scripture. 
Uh, it's used in accordance with Jesus when the, when the soldiers kept watch over him. But uh, as we think about it, I want to I hasten on. We understand and we know that it does not mean that, uh, does not imply the impossibility of apostasy. In other words, the once saved, always saved doctrine. And how is it that we know that? Well, it's not the only time in the book of Jude that Jude talks about it. They're kept for Jesus Christ, but how are they kept? Drop down real quick if you have your Bible open. Jude verse 21. Jude verse 21. What does Jude write there? Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Who does the keeping? Keep yourselves. Keep yourselves. This is not something that God miraculously does for us. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. You see, we have the responsibility of guarding ourselves. Okay? Now, how is that done? How is that done? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verses uh, 4 and 5. 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5. Guarded by what? By the power of God. Whose part is that? The faith part. That's our part. That's our part. Our faith in God causes us to do what? What did, God, what did Abraham's faith in God cause him to do? Righteous. To be righteous. I was thinking more along the terms of he was righteous because what did he do? Whatever, whatever God told him to do. Okay? And so he was obedient. He had obedient faith. When God told him to leave his homeland, what did Abraham do? We all know these things. He left. When God told him to take his son out and to uh, uh, offer him as a sacrifice, what did Abraham do? He did what God told him to do. And so faith causes us to be obedient to God. And when we're obedient to God, the, the God, God has made promises to those who are obedient to Him, has He not? So, He talks about, Jude talks about those who are kept for Jesus Christ. Well, who does the keeping? We do the keeping. He says, keep yourselves, verse 21, in the love of God. Well, what motivates us, what moves us to keep ourselves? It is our faith in God that causes us to do that, to be obedient to whatever it is He teaches us to do. And so, as we look at it then, they're called, they're beloved, and they're kept. They have a part just like God had a part in the calling. We have a part in the keeping, don't we? Somebody have a question? Come in. Oh, somebody started to say something. All right. Our time is up for tonight, so we better go ahead and ring the bell, get everybody up here. Uh, let me just quickly mention verse 2 while they're coming up. 
May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy has reference to compassion or pity. Peace has relations, or has, uh, is related to quietness and rest resulting from the trust that we have in God. And love is the active concern that God has. These three things are three things that the readers of Jude needed probably as much as anything, maybe even more than some things. And so Jude asks, prays, writes that these three things would be what? Multiplied to you. Interesting word that's used there. It means to increase or to abound or given basically in increased abundance. May they be given to you in ever more abundance. Jesus said how often would I look He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I gather you together like a hen does a chicken chick under her wing? But you would not. Yep. Well, there's your. Jesus is willing. God is willing. We've got to be willing. Gather them in and protect them. Absolutely. We, we ourselves have to be willing as well. All right, we'll pick up in verse 3 next time.